Okay, so we've been in the middle of this series called Faith Matters. We're talking about faith from as, as biblical perspective as we possibly can, and we're trying to get as clear as we possibly can on sort of the practical side of actually living out faith. Because one of the challenges that we face is that so much of what um, we hear about faith, so much of what we've been exposed to with relationship to faith um, is not always based on Scripture. Instead, it's based upon somebody's ideas, somebody's experience, somebody's anecdote, somebody's story. And so how do we figure this out and get it down to a place where we really understand what God means when He tells us to walk a walk of faith, when He tells us to live a life of faith? How do we really get that down and get it practical? And, and this week and next week, we're going to be trying to, to get as practical as we possibly can and helping us to understand all of that. So let me just begin by asking you this question, and, and just search your minds and see if you can think of this. Uh, how, have, have you ever known anybody who just was a faith person? They just seem to have faith. When everybody else doubts, they have faith. When everybody else is not sure, they're always sure. They're just confident in God. They're confident that He's going to do what they're expecting Him to do. And, they, and they're just always hopeful and always positive. And no matter what kind of negative turns things take, they're always going, you know what? God's going to come through. God's going to come through. Have you ever known somebody like that? Have you ever known somebody who was like that, who was absolutely confident about what they should do and turned out to be wrong? I just know God wants me to go here. I just know God is telling me I need to do this. God has promised me that he's going to do that. I have a word of knowledge for you. God has told me to tell you this. And then they tell you, and then what they tell you is totally off base. And you kind of scratch your head and go, because on the one hand, you look at people who are so confident in their faith, and you go, oh, why can't I be more like that? Why can't I just trust God more? And then on the other hand, you look at people and you go, man, this guy's trusting God, but he's always wrong. He's saying stuff that never happens, and he's putting his hope in areas that God doesn't seem to be coming through. So what am I supposed to make of that? Either this guy's an idiot, or God is not a good God, or he's not powerful or something, and it just gets confusing. There are times when there are people who are absolutely positive that they're hearing from God. I had a really, really dear friend um, we were in, in youth ministry together back in the Stone Ages, and um, we, we were just super tight like brothers, and we did a lot of different ministry together and loved and supported each other. And he was just a gifted guy. Just a, he was a worship leader. He was a tremendously gifted musician. He had this great charisma, and he was great at leading people. Just one of these people that God used, and, and he was passionate about God. And um, and I'll never forget the day that he came in and he told me, he said, listen, um, I got to tell you something. Um, I have met Mrs. Wright. I have met the girl that is supposed to be my wife. And, and, and I just have never been more sure of anything in my life. This girl is my soulmate. This is the one that God has always wanted me to be with. I just know it. Now, that's cool, right? And he said, and she works with me. This is this girl that, that started working with me, and we've been getting to know each other, and I just know it. I know it. She's the one for me. And you would think that when he shared that with me, I would rejoice, right? Except for one thing. He had a wife who was pregnant at home. 
I remember this like it was yesterday because today's my anniversary. I got married 29 years ago. And, and yay. And um, <laughs> really, you should clap for my wife, but she's not here. That's why I'm going through this. But um, he was going to be the best man in my wedding. And we were getting ready for the wedding when this happened. And, uh, and he said, you know what? I know it sounds weird. I know you're going to tell me I'm wrong, but I'm telling you, this is the one. I go, dude, it doesn't matter. You're married. Your wife is sitting at home right now, pregnant, while you are building this relationship with this other woman. She's not God's will for your life. He goes, I knew you were going to say that, but you've known me a long time. I follow God, and you know that I listen to God's voice, and I'm telling you, she is the one. I made a mistake when I married this other woman. But I know now that this is the person I'm supposed to be with, and I don't want to waste the rest of my life missing out on God's will being married to this lady when I ought to be married to this lady. And I took him to Scripture, and I showed him what the Scripture said about adultery and the commitment that you make and marriage and all of that kind of stuff and how this couldn't possibly be God's will. And he said to me, I guess we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And he left his wife and daughter and married this lady. And my heart has been broken over it since. And he was absolutely sure. Now, you and I sit here and look at this and we go, yeah, he wasn't sure. He was convincing himself of what he wanted to be true. And then he was dressing it up as God's will so that people wouldn't bash him for it. And and. And obviously, in this case, it wasn't God's will because the Scripture is so absolutely clear about this, right? You don't have to know much about the Bible to know that was not God's will, right? So that's one category of thing when a person is confident that they know what God wants them to do and they're wrong because the Scripture is so clear that they're wrong. Most of us, I hope, would never try to justify something that is so obviously contrary to Scripture and dress it up as God's will. But what about the things that are not so clear? What about those times when you're like, listen, I really want to do what God wants me to do, and there's nothing in Scripture that says do this or do that, and and I have to make a decision about this job or that job. I have to make a decision about uh, this college to go to or that college to go to. I've come to a crossroads, and I have to make a decision about whether I should go left or I should go right, and, and I can't look it up in the Scripture, and it just says, hey, go left when you come to this crossroads. I, I, w- I need to know God's will, because that's where most of us live. Listen, if you ever, as a married person, get the idea that what God wants you to do is abandon your family and go after somebody else, then um, you don't even need to call me for counseling. I'll just tell you now, you're a knucklehead, okay? Forget that stuff. But what you're more likely to do is to go, God, I feel like God's leading me into this ministry opportunity. I think God's leading me into this business, but I'm not really sure. How do I know? How do we walk by faith when it's not absolutely clear from God's Word what we should and what we shouldn't do? Imagine that you are um, at the San Diego Zoo. You decided to take the family and go to the San Diego Zoo, and um, you go to the zoo, and you've been enjoying the day at the zoo, and you get to the to the lion habitat, right? And they just have all these lions out there. And the zookeeper is out there 
feeding raw meat to the lions, right? So you're getting to watch the lions get all whipped up into a frenzy, and they're going after this meat, and they're all real excited about what's going on. And there's obviously a fence between you and the lions, thank God, right? So you're standing there looking and watching and taking pictures and going, this is amazing. And as you watch these amazing lions and how fierce they are and how strong and how powerful and ferocious they are, you start remembering Bible stories that you've read about how David, when he was a shepherd, killed a lion with his bare hands in order to protect the sheep. And you go, man, God is amazing. If he, could, if he could take a little shepherd boy and kill a lion, or how Samson killed a lion, or, um, or maybe how Daniel was put into the lion's den, and all of these hungry lions, and he spent the whole night with them, and God shut the mouths of the lions, sent an angel to protect. And you're just, you're just almost a worshipful experience because you're thinking, wow, what an awesome God. Just seeing how ferocious these lions are reminds me how nothing is too big for God. And you're just appreciating God and you're enjoying and you're thinking about it. And you think, you know what? Our God is so strong. I guarantee you that, that if God wanted to protect me from these lions, even if this fence wasn't here, I would still be safe. Isn't our God awesome? And you just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And then you got to the point where you said, you know, I don't know why God brought this to my mind, but I can't get rid of this thought about how God can protect people from lions. And I just feel like, you know what? God could protect me even if I was in with those lions during feeding time. And, and you start climbing the fence to get into the lion's cage. What do you suppose happens to you when you get down the other side of the fence? The feeding frenzy continues, Right? And, and you, could, you, could, you could be saying with your dying words, but God is strong, right? And you could be so confident and so sure of God's power and his ability to slay a lion, and yet you are in a situation where a lion is slaying you, all because you took a scriptural truth that was true in a certain situation for a certain time and a certain person, and you made that a promise to you, which it never was made to be, and now you're applying it, and you're holding God accountable to be faithful to just bail you out of your stupid thing that you're doing. And if he doesn't bail you out, your dying thoughts are, man, God is not trustworthy. And God is going, man, that guy is stupid. <laughs> See, you say, well, obviously that would be, that would be dumb. But seriously, what if, what if you had a very strong feeling about it? What if, what if you just couldn't get it out of your mind? What if you just were confident, God really wants me to do this? Do you think you'd be any more alive at the end of the situation? And yet, so often, we're left with nothing more to go on than a strong feeling, a strong sense, or a, 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 what we would call a prompting, right? And, and clearly, um, the, the Scripture teaches us that for Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within our heart. So it is true that the Word of God has all that we need for life and, and knowledge and understanding, and yet He also gives us the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who sort of on the subjective side of things, guides us and directs us and gives us these promptings and these convictions and these comforts and these warnings and all this stuff. And, and we need to depend upon those things. And you have heard me preach on the fact that we have to be tuned in to the, to the Spirit, Holy Spirit's channel and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and learn to recognize God's voice so we can act on it. So it is a dilemma that we face 
When we talk about this lion cage thing, you go, well, that's ridiculous. Who would do that? And yet, in our day-to-day lives as Christians, we face crossroads all the time where we feel strongly about something. But is it really God, that, that feeling in your gut, or is it bad pizza? <laughs> and how do you know? See, there's a lot of Christians who've got this all wrong. They, they figure, you know what, I can, I, God can handle those lions, I'm going in. But guys, there's an absolutely profound difference between faith and folly. Faith and foolishness. And there have been a whole lot of people who name the name of Christ who are doing things that are absolutely foolish and calling it faith. And so we don't want to be among those people. We need to figure this out. Some Christians have gotten the idea that faith and risk-taking are the same things. The bigger your faith, the bigger the risks you will take. And we have this idea that faith and risk-taking equal one another, especially if you feel very strongly prompted to act upon this risk that you're about to take. You you go, listen, I I have a steady job, and it's providing the needs of my family and all that kind of stuff, but I have this dream to own my own business, and I have this gut feeling, and and I, I feel like I need to just leave my job and take out a loan and go start a business and and and. I I just know God is going to bless that. And maybe He will. And maybe you will have an amazing story to tell later about how hard it was for you to take that step of faith and now to look back and go, look what God did when I just trusted Him and took that step of faith. Maybe He will. Or maybe your business will go under and you'll be left scratching your head and going, wait a minute, I thought God was faithful. I thought God kept His promises. Didn't He say that if we trust Him, He will bless us? Doesn't that mean that my business is going to succeed? You see the leap we've taken? And yet, that's not the promise God made at all. He didn't promise that our business was going to make money. He promises that He will will take care of us as we seek Him. That's a different promise. Or you say, you know, I just had this this prompting to to send all my money to this um, ministry or something like that. Well, gosh, is it possible that God could be wanting you to do that? Yes, it is. Or perhaps not. How do you know? Or you, you, you say, listen, I, I got this sick kid, and, and I just, you know, I know that there's medical treatments and all that, and, and, but I just feel like I got to trust God on this one. So we're not doing the doctors, we're not doing the hospitals, we're not doing the medicine, we're not doing the surgery, we're not doing any of that stuff. We're just going to believe God for healing. And those people end up at funerals. And they shake their head and they go, I I guess I shouldn't have trusted God. How do you know what to do when you can't look it up in Scripture and find the direct answer? Is it enough to feel strongly in your heart that God wants you to do something? Is a strong sense of His direction the same as a promise that it's going to work out the way you want it to work out? You ever heard somebody say something like, I am doing this for God, so I know He won't let me down? And the implication is A, B, and C are going to happen. Or listen, um, I'm just stepping out in faith. I'm just believing God for this. I'm just going to believe God for this, and I'm going to take a step in faith. See, guys, this is nuance, and, and, and you might say, why are we being so nitpicky about this? 
because if we miss this, we can go off in a direction where our faith has nothing to do with what the Bible talks about. There is a difference between believing God, believing that He keeps His promises, believing that He is faithful, believing that He is holy, believing that He is just, believing that what He says in His Word is true. There is a difference between believing God and believing God for this thing that I'm hopeful about. I'm just believing God that even though I didn't save any money, I'm going to have retirement when I get to 65. It sounds faithful. It sounds bold. It sounds gutsy. And in some cases, it could be right on with God's will. But most of the time, it could be bad pizza. So is it enough to feel strongly in your heart? Because all of this sounds good when you say, I'm believing God, I'm taking this step of faith. Um, But you know what happens when you go there? The story now becomes about you and your faith and your willingness to take a step rather than about God and His calling and His promises and His provision. And it all becomes about me and that's challenging. But still... Isn't the Bible filled with stories? Didn't God just come to Abraham who'd never even heard of him and say, hey, follow me to a place that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation? And didn't Abraham do that? And don't we applaud him for doing that? And don't we go, he's the father of the faithful. Look how he did that. Didn't didn't, uh, Moses respond to the burning bush even though he was scared and even though he had questions and even though he had confusion? Didn't he finally just do what God called him to do and follow God and, and, and go marching right back into Egypt where they had chased him out of before and his life was on the line. Didn't he do that? And when he did that, wasn't there a sea that was parted? Wasn't there a nation that was delivered? Didn't amazing things happen when he did that? And Elijah, when he went against the 400 prophets of Baal, and they were trying to get the people of Israel to bow down to idols, and he said, we must never bow down to idols. And so he challenged them and the fire of heaven fell and and The prophets of Baal were wiped out and Israel was returned to being a godly nation. Didn't that happen? Didn't didn't, um, Peter and James and Andrew and John, didn't they get out of their boats and leave their nets and walk away from the family business and follow Jesus? And wasn't that the right thing for them to do? Didn't Peter, when they were in the boat and the storm came and Jesus came walking on the sea and, and Jesus said, come out of the boat, Peter, and walk on water with me? Didn't he step out of the boat? Isn't it crazy to do that? And yet he did that. And yet it, it was profoundly important in his, in his development as a man of faith. And we could go on and on and on about these stories in Scripture where people trusted God and they took a crazy step of faith and God did something amazing. But you know what all of those stories have in common? The person who took that step was either a prophet who got direct revelation from God and acted upon that revelation or was acting upon a direct command from Jesus himself and were obeying him. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago? The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. Faith and obedience are Siamese twins. If I believe him, if I have faith in him, I will do what he says to do. In every one of those cases I mentioned, this is not somebody just getting an idea and going out and saying, this is from God. This is someone responding directly to something God has communicated without any question. That is, there is a very big difference between having a hunch about something and hearing from God directly. And 
oftentimes in Christian circles, we blur the line. And, and, and probably we do it just because the language is convenient and we don't choose our words as carefully as we probably would if we were thinking more carefully. But it's so common to say, you know, the Lord told me this. The Lord called me to do that. The Lord showed me this. The Lord gave me a word for you or whatever. And you think, okay, well, how is that different from the Bible? Is that different from the Bible? Is that have more authority, the less authority, the same authority than the Bible? I mean, if it's from God... Isn't it truth? And yet, how many of those times do those things not pan out? And you think, wow, I guess it wasn't from God. So, so picture this. You just heard a great sermon. In fact, one of my favorite passages to preach on is that very passage in Matthew where the disciples are in the boat and the storm is coming and Jesus comes walking in the water and he tells Peter, get out of the boat and walk with me, right? And Peter gets out of the boat and, and he has this amazing experience of walking with Jesus on the water and it's an incredible thing. And, and so let's just say that I've just preached a sermon or you heard a sermon preached on that and you were just so moved and you were so profoundly touched by that. And you know that God is just saying to you, listen, I got to stop being somebody who's huddling in the boat. I got to be somebody who's willing to get out of the boat. And it just so happens that on that day after the worship service, you're going with a friend fishing in his boat out off of Long Beach and you get out into the water and you're out there and you're just talking together about how the sermon impacted you and how important that passage is and how you know that you just need to be somebody who gets out of the boat and is willing to walk with Jesus. And so you think, oh my gosh, what are the chances? I mean, I just heard a sermon on getting out of a boat and here I find myself in a boat, right? The application is obvious. So you just stand up on the side of the boat and you take your step. Do you think you're going to get wet? You know what? You might not. Can God make people walk on water? In fact, I, I, I looked it up, did some calculation. It looks to me like in the history of the world, there have been somewhere between 100 and 150 billion people who have lived on earth, okay? Of those, we have an example of one not named Jesus who ever walked on water. And he lasted about two steps, and then what happened to him? He got wet. So if you're thinking, boy, God is calling me to step out of this boat, so I'm going, to, I'm going to show my faith to God, prove my faith to God by stepping out of this boat, here's what I suggest. If you're really doing it and you're off the coast of Long Beach, look closely because it's all over the news. There's great white sharks off Huntington Beach right now. I just want to make you aware of that. I'm not saying there's no way you're going to walk on water. I'm saying you'd be the second person out of 150 billion. So is it really God's will for every Christian that we walk on water just because God once called Peter to step out of a boat so that he could teach him something? See, nowhere in Scripture does it say that God's will for his followers is to walk on water. Obviously, that's a metaphor when a preacher says you've got to be willing to get out of the boat and walk on water. Okay, granted, but what if you really, really have faith? Can't you do anything if you really have faith? Guys, remember what we've been saying all along. Faith is not in and of itself a power. Faith does not have power. God has power. And we approach God in faith, and God uses his power. It's not that God is sitting back going, oh, there's so many things I would like to do, but Dean just doesn't trust me enough, so I guess we'll just have to let the world die. God's not dependent upon your power of your faith. Your faith is, an, is a gift that he gives to you so that you can experience him to the fullest. But your, your faith is in and of itself not a power. 
Okay, but what if you really, really, really think God is prompting you to get out of that boat? Then I think you should just remember that your best guess, based on your sense of an inner prompting, is not the same thing as a promise from God. So don't bring God into your thing and say, God told me to get out of the boat, and God told me that he will not let me sink. Because when that happens, you're putting God's reputation on the line, not just your own. Remember, biblical faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Biblical faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say biblical faith is believing that God is who I or some other preacher or some person you know say he is, and that he will do what I or some other preacher or some person you know thinks he will do. And I didn't say that biblical faith is believing that God is who you would like him to be, and that he will do what you would like him to do. That's not what faith is all about. Folks, God is a big God. He can speak for himself when he has something to say. We don't need to put words in his mouth and then call it promises from God. The scripture gives us a great description of a God who tells us some very specific things that he will do. For example, the Bible says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It says this in multiple places, in multiple ways, and it is a common teaching in Scripture for all believers of all time that when you are a follower of Jesus, He will not walk away from you and leave you abandoned. Is that good news or what? Right? That's fantastic news, okay? And we should hold on to that with every ounce of faith that we have because it is true. And the fact that you're holding on to it with faith doesn't make it true. It would be true if none of us believed it because when God speaks, it's always true, okay? That being said, we tend to take two steps from there. And using going back to my old analogy... We tend to take two steps from there and say, God is faithful. He will never leave me or forsake me. And he wants me to start this business. Therefore, the business will not fail. That God never promised. And when the business fails or if the business fails, we are then tempted to look back and blame God for not being faithful. And then we don't trust him next time. I want to give you a story just really quick that is probably unfamiliar to some of you, but it's in the book of 1 Samuel. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. It's about the 8th or ninth book of your Old Testament. Look right in front of 2 Samuel and you'll find it. 1 Samuel chapter 14. So let me tell you what's going on. Um, you know that the Philistines and the Israelites are always battling, Right? And this is a, a season in history when the Philistines have just been wiping the floor with the Israelites. In fact, it is to the point where the Philistines have taken away all the weapons out of Israel and killed all of the blacksmiths so they can't make new weapons, okay? So now they're going into battle against the Philistines. There are two swords in all of Israel. One belongs to Saul, the king, and the other belongs to Jonathan, his son, and so um, the rest of the people that show up to fight, you know what they bring with them? Shovels, brooms, pitchforks, that sort of thing. That's their fighting implements. And they're surrounded by this great Philistine army, 
And so they're hiding in caves and holes in the ground because they don't know what to do, and they're waiting. Now, let me just give you this story. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migran, and the people who were uh, with him were about 600 men. So, so picture this, they're there and they're ready for battle and they're hiding in the, in the holes in the ground because uh, they're, they're, they have no chance. And Saul, who is the leader of the army, he's, he's like a whole town away and he's sitting under a, tray, a tree in the shade and he's talking with the high priest. So, so picture yourself in that situation. You're in desperate crisis and your leader is not willing to tell you what to do. You, you have no, nobody leading you. Okay, and then it goes on. Verse 3, And Ahijah the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In other words, the high priest was with him. Verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag or a cliff on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. Uh, the one crag rose up on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Geba. So now you guys all have a good picture of that, right? Because you know where all those places are? Okay. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now let's just stop there, okay? So Jonathan has a sword. He has one of the two swords and he has an armor bearer. Isn't it wonderful to be his armor bearer, right? You don't have a weapon. Your job is to hold the shield in front of him while he fights, okay? That's your job. So you have to carry his gear basically. And, and he says, let's go ahead and cross over not where we can fight them, but into their camp. Let's go into the enemy's camp, he says. Now, if you're the armor bearer, what are you thinking? One of two things. This guy's nuts, or this guy's heard from God, right? And so I can only imagine that he, the armor bearer says to him, oh, wow, that's like a, a crazy idea. Did God tell you that he's going to give them into our hands? Look at how Jonathan responds. Back at the beginning of verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who is carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. That's true, right? The Lord can save by many or by few. I mean, Jonathan is probably thinking of Gideon right then. And he's going, remember when he, he shrunk down the army to almost nothing and then God just wiped out the enemy through this tiny army? God can do this, right? Um, and, and so the armor bearer is probably thinking, um, so God told you he's going to do this? And look at the word that Jonathan uses right in the middle of verse 6, perhaps. You should circle that word in your Bible. This is theologically very, very important. Perhaps. So the armor bearer is basically going, so, so God showed you? Did you hear from the high priest and he has the ephod? Is he prophesying? Or did God speak to you directly because you're the son of the king? Are, do you know that they're going to... And, and Jonathan goes, you know, be honest, I'm perhaps in here. Um, it's like a gut thing. I, I, I feel it. I, I think maybe God wants to do something amazing here. I don't want to miss it. You want to come with me? What would you say? 
Verse 7, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be a sign for us. Okay, so, so God told you there's going to be a sign. That if they call us, that's the sign that we're going to wipe them out? Yeah, I'm kind of perhapsing about that. I, maybe. And so they go up, and if you read the rest of the story, you will find out that the Philistines say, come up, and they climb up, and they wipe out this whole band of Philistines because God causes them to turn on one another and fight one another, and they just wipe themselves out. And you go, see, there we go. Somebody trusted their gut and they went for it and God came through. That's right, he did. Did he have to? No. Even Jonathan said, perhaps. So here's the thing. If we're going to walk by faith, whenever we're holding the word of God in our hands and we can see in context that God is making a promise to us, then we don't have to perhaps it. When, when God says to us, for instance, when, when he says, in the case of my friend, when he says, listen, um, stay faithful to the wife of your youth, you don't have to perhaps on that one, right? When God's word says, listen, if you will give sacrificially, I will take care of all of your needs according to my riches and glory. You don't have to perhaps on that. It takes courage. It takes guts. You're going to have to believe a God who says he will do something. You're going to have to believe he will do it. But that is an entirely different thing than I think maybe if I trust him, God will do this. And then we talk ourselves into it by saying, God has promised that he will do this and God always keeps his word. And so I'm walking by faith and trusting him. Guys, it is a tough one to know how do I actually walk by faith when it's not really clear what to do. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to unpack details of the questions that you need to ask yourself when trying to consider, do I go left or do I go right? And the Word doesn't tell us. But for today, let me encourage you that if you don't have something directly from the Word of God that is spoken to you about what God is promising to do, then let's not put words in God's mouth and put our faith in our own faith and in our own ability to discern what God might do. Let's put our faith in God, His Word, and His Holy Spirit. And when we trust Him, He will do what He says He will do. Amen?